Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the second part of our Fellowship of the Ring analysis. If you haven't listened to the first one yet, please go back and listen to that, as it's probably more sentient. Than the, it's, it's probably better than the one we're going to do at this point, because we've been drinking more and getting a bit loosey-goosey. Loosey-goosey, part two. Uh, I am Catherine. I'm Madison. I'm Rooby-Dooby-Doo. And, and we are once again joined by our good friend, ally, friend of the show, Hannah Lore. Lucier the Goosier. So, for this section, do we want to focus more on, like, the actual movie Fellowship of the Ring yes. instead of, like, the bigger picture I think we mythology? should very yes. specifically talk about the movie, because that's what we watched. I didn't watch anything. What? No, you watched it with us. I think, oh, I do want to bring into into the text as to speak, so to say, the the perspective that Peter Jackson chose for the Fellowship of the Ring. I don't think they came from the same perspective. I think it was two different lenses that were shown onto the same story. I think the lens that Peter Jackson chose is the ring itself. The ring itself, I think, exists as a character within Peter Jackson's story. I also think that it exists as a character within Lord of the Rings as a text. But I think Peter Jackson chose to film the movie from the perspective of the ring. You you told me that before we watched it, and I definitely agreed. Or Peter Jackson attempted to tell the audience that this is the perspective of the story was when... Gandalf was inspecting the ring to try and figure out if it was truly the one ring of power. The camera angle was from the perspective of the ring looking up at Gandalf as he was inspecting it. And where the story's primary focus isn't around any individual character, so it's kind of like a multi-character narrative, but the primary focus is the journey that the ring takes and its influence on everything around it. That is really astute. Especially in the extended version, the beginning is much lengthier where it follows Bilbo, and you really don't follow Frodo until Bilbo drops the ring out of his pocket, and Frodo picks it up, and then suddenly Frodo's the protagonist. So is this story then about corruption and destruction, and like, is that what this story is supposed to be? Bilbo, the ring is still in your pocket. I think Peter Jackson wanted to follow in the footsteps of... Tolkien and trying to make it non-allegorical, I think that it did have that effect at some level, just because in any given piece of media, someone's ideas about the world are going to bleed in. Like, you can't have a villain without projecting a way the world works on the villain. And you can't have a protagonist without doing the same thing, I don't think. So I think that it exists in the story, but um, I don't know if that was the point. Like, I think that he tried to do his best to tailor the story explicitly to the journey that the ring made just for the sake of being able to tell a story at all from this massive body of work. I'm just sitting here thinking of something controversial. What's that? Of just how much more I like Lord of the Rings than Game of Thrones. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think Game of Thrones is good. I just like, I love the heart yeah i think um on a certain level it's a more hopeful and more wholesome story i don't want to discredit it by calling it wholesome because this movies these movies are terrifying they scared the shit out of me when i was a kid like it's horrible disfigured night goblins chasing after people and stuff but then there's tree people people have nightmares about the tree people (laughs) this person becoming a 
Gollum is horrifying, but then you have these speeches of, this is jumping to the second movie, but there's that great speech by Sam where everything is so fucked and Frodo almost just like stabbed his best friend because a horrible dragon's gonna kill him and everything's evil and gross and they're all gonna die, but he gives this speech of like, there's still good in this world and it's worth fighting for and as you know kind of juvenile as it might be the good versus evil i really like that i think the major difference is that in the lord of the rings there are overarching moral forces of good and evil whereas in um a song of ice and fire there are simply actors people are acting upon their own intentions and their own authority It's sort of a Chekhovian layer of realism to fantasy. Yes, where you're not seeing the perspective of the big picture. You're seeing the perspective of individuals as they see the world working. Um, And you, as the reader, are capable of building a larger picture, but it's still only built from pieces, where in Lord of the Rings it's more explicit. And you're also following a much smaller slice of characters in Lord of the Rings. And they're all mostly good. Once Boromir dies, you're really just following good people. Except Frodo and Gollum. Hmm. I like it. Okay? Okay. <laughs> do, 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 do. Also, th- the soundtrack for this it's was incredible. Lovely. Yes. It was the first thing, I think, to win an Academy Award for the movies. I could be lying. Cinema- it was like cinematography and soundtrack they only won like a few the first one and then like two the second one and then like 11 on the last one they won a full sweep on the final film every single thing they were nominated for they won i got reading like the imdb all the trivia which is extensive it's probably the most i've ever seen on any movie because i read the trivia for like everything i watch Like, reading it, like, as someone who works (laughs) in, like, film and television, it was just, like, making my skin crawl, like, how hard it was to make this movie. Yeah, so I ended up, like, after an hour reading that, I was hanging out with my mom, and I had to switch over to just watching two-hour video of every acceptance speech of every Academy Award they won, because I needed to feel the payoff. (laughs) Because I was so stressed out (laughs) from, like, reading what it took to make this movie, and... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just amazing. like those poor PAs yeah. god god uh, god how dare they <laughs> how dare they make these movies like Jesus Christ <laughs> Jesus Christ uh, I can't imagine having to be like a set like one of the guys who fucking had to build uh, the village of Rohan they oh I mean god. like Hobbiton or whatever it's called like Hobbiton yeah they they built yeah, Hobbiton, Hobbiton eight months before uh, no, they yeah, no, they finished it almost a year before so that it would look lived in. Mr. Leggett's favorite story about Lord of the Rings was how Gandalf had hems on the inside of his clothing. He kept hems? Some, like, or had uh, something, not hems, had something embroidered on the hem, on the inside uh, of the hem of his clothing. What was it? It was just like some fancy, beautiful design, but nobody would ever see oh, it. Right. And Ian McKellen looked at it and thought to himself, well, I know this is a good production because they're paying attention to the details where well, cause this is nobody's ever going to see it. I love talking about movies where the director is very passionate about the source material. Peter Jackson loved the source material and he surrounded himself by people who loved the source material. Uh, they brought in like artists who were like the most renowned Tolkien 
artists and, and everyone was obsessed with it. And it shows. Like the parts that aren't CGI heavy were breathtaking. I might be lying. Someone might be like, ah, it's, there's actually like a thousand things of CGI in that shot, but whatever. When like Gandalf and is uh, riding up to Bag End and he's just like coming around this hill is so beautiful. And, it's, and I think it stands up because it was mostly practical because they made these places and they made these costumes. And they didn't, you know, Star Wars Episode Two, where they just put a guy in a room of everything blue. <laughs> uh, I'm a hobbit. Um, you are a hobbit. This is why I'm a hobbit. I, I oh, yeah. just like watching the beginning of the movie first. <laughs> just like so exceptionally identified with them, where I was like, "This town is so pretty compared to like the horrible world outside it." I was just like, it's so nice. And they're all just eating. <laughs> they're just eating and they're gardening and they're drinking and they're standing on the table and they're drinking with their same friends and, <laughs> and dancing. And then they just, Frodo goes home because he's drunk and he can walk to his house. And oh, and it was when, it was when Gandalf came over to Bag End. <laughs> Remember I was watching with you guys and uh, Bilbo was like trying to like sing a thousand things they could eat. And, Gand- and he was holding this, like, giant thing of cheese. <laughs> and Gandalf was like, just tea, thank you. And then, like, Bilbo put a bunch of food in his mouth. And he's like, you don't mind if I, do you? Like, mumbling over the food. And I was like, that's me! <laughs> God, it, I can't think of anything better to be than a hobbit. Well, I think it's, it's representational of a very down-to-earth person and a very down-to-earth people. Oh, Frodo's just reading next to a tree. Like, what are these? What, are, what is this place? He's just, like, in the woods, like, reading. And it's, like, my favorite wizard's coming by. Like, his life. <laughs> his life before Bilbo leaves him the ring. And he can never go back. No, he can never go back. It's been ruined for him. Gandalf and Bilbo ruined his life. I read something where it was, like, before Bilbo gifts him the ring i'm like it is not a gift boromir like who's writing this? <laughs> it's such a curse like until he curses him with the worst thing ever that's it it's almost you know machiavellian too a very cynical worldview in the story that he's having this character who like gandalf knows that the only way to defeat evil is if he puts his trust in this tiny little hobbit but by doing so, like he also knows that he is going to destine this person for a terrible life, and he chooses right. to. And and you know, what other option does he have? Yeah, it's it's uh you know just the construct of the story is that it's the only thing he could do. But that's because the story is constructed, and I, I I'm not necessarily convinced that that's the way that it is in real life. I don't think that there has to be some sort of ultimatum between. Uh, like ruining a person's life for the sake of a greater good uh, based on your decision. And so it's Gandalf is in, in a way. He's stumbled the one. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's... He's sending a lamb into slaughter. And... Um, yeah, I think in many situations, Gandalf performs as a deus ex, especially in The Hobbit. In The Hobbit, he literally shows up to fix problems, and that's it for the most part. He shows up to kick off the story and to solve problems. And I think that's an important role that he played there because it was written from the perspective of Bilbo and he saw Gandalf as this nigh all powerful being who did so much for him. Yes. And 
I think Frodo went into his journey with that perspective, with the perspective that Bilbo gave him of this was going to be fun and interesting and give him a lot to say later in life. You're going to see the elves. You're going to see the elves. You're going to see a lot more than elves. (laughs) And I think that speaks to the naive perspective of hobbits. The perspective that I think Tolkien and Peter Jackson projected from the common man onto hobbits and how their unwillingness to learn about things that were going on in the world kept them blissful and ignorant, but ultimately incapable of surviving. No, we're perfect. Well, I mean, they did make it. Puff full puff. Oh yeah, during the movie while we watched it, the three of us, um, we started assigning races to house uh, houses from Hogwarts. It's hard not to compare this to like Harry Potter, I think because of the proximity when the movies came out. Lord of the Rings, my theory, I didn't do enough research to like definitively say this, but it, it changed fantasy movie viability. We talked about how like Spider-Man, it was Spider-Man, X-Men. The superhero yes. movies. Uh, yeah. But I think Lord of the Rings had a hand in that as well. Because if you look at like the year Lord of the Rings came out, before that, it was like the top grossing movies were like comedies and, you know, adult yeah. kind of things. and there was no fantasy there was not much like science fiction superhero you know every once in a while there'd be like a batman movie something like that but not a lot of fantasy science fiction and then for years and years and years after that it suddenly became like there were like five in the top 10 grossing of every year that was like harry potter lord of the rings x-men 2 i mean it was revolutionary to the film industry by oh expanding that like fantasy base it was return of the king is not you know, the Oscars suck so much for many reasons, <laughs> but and one of the reasons that's not as political as most of the others is that it, it, there's a very specific type of movie that can win an Oscar. And Return of the King is not that movie. So it was just exceptional when Lord of the Rings did so well, critically. That still means a lot to me that these fantasy movies are known as like some of the greatest of all time. Yeah, so out of the top eight grossing feature films from the year 2000 to 2010... Two are comedies, Shrek 2 and Finding Nemo. Everything else is Avatar, The Dark Knight, Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, Transformers, and Star Wars Episode 3. Star Wars Episode 1 came out in like 1999, and then like two years later we get like Lord of the Rings, and then everything explodes. The one good thing that presumably might have come out of Phantom Menace was that we had the CGI to start making all these other movies. Yeah, I'm looking at the 90s, and ultimately, I think there are some similarities. Like, I think you can see the rise of fantasy and sci-fi stories. I mean, the top movie from the 90s is the Titanic, of course. But then it's Star Wars Episode One and Jurassic Park. Oh. But the rest of that, it's like Forrest Gump, The Lion King, Independence Day, Sixth Sense, Home Alone, Men in Black, Toy Story 2. So it's all a lot of like very different media between the two decades. And then you get to 2002. Number one is Lord of the Rings, Two Towers. Number two is Harry Potter, Chamber of the Secrets. Uh, Number three, Spider-Man. Number four, Star Wars, Episode Two. Number five is Men in Black, Two. Wow. So it's like the top five movies. Oh, you guys, I want to watch Two Towers. Yeah, I do too. In a minute. (laughs) Doing a podcast right now. Uh, 2005. 
Harry Potter, Goblet of Fire, Star Wars 3, Chronicles of Narnia, War of the Worlds, King Kong, and then Madagascar, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Oh, I remember but that. Like, I remember like to remake Chronicles of Narnia. That's, I also wanted to bring that up, that I could not watch Chronicles of Narnia after having been raised on Lord of the Rings, because it just didn't look real to me. It looked like a bunch of people in costumes standing in a field. <laughs> and I, yeah. as a kid, like, tried to wrap my mind around this, because as a kid who wanted to make movies, and it was very hard for me to, like, figure out what is the difference between Lord of the Rings and Chronicles of Narnia, and why Lord of the Rings looks like a fantasy world. Did you ever see the old school Chronicles of Narnia? No. Oh, God, I grew up on those. They were so, <laughs> so good. They were amazing, through and through. Oh, you need to watch them. You absolutely need to watch the originals. Oh, Prince Caspian is the best. No, no. The, uh, the, the, one the with chair. What is it? The is chair. So what is that fucking one called? Funny. The one with Puddleglum. I just really love Puddleglum. Catherine, I think you would like Puddleglum too. <laughs> I think you would identify with Puddleglum. Why? Watch the movie and you'll find out. You think I'll identify with a character named Puddleglum? The silver chair, yeah. Watch it. You'll oh, love I, it. I see a picture. I agree. A marsh wiggle. <laughs> Oh, my lord. Lord of the Rings is good, guys. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just, like, who who I was when I watched them and who I am now are very much different people. Absolutely. On a lot of levels. I don't enjoy that kind of story as much anymore. Mm. Not not in, like, a high... Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't, I, I don't appreciate it artistically as much as I enjoy it, like, a basile sort of way where i had an opposite reaction where i also feel like i'm a very different person it was kind of like a nice coming home of like no i still love this movie but i (laughs) I still really appreciate it and and even now where it's like i know a lot more about film and tv because here's as someone who grew up wanting to make movies and wanted to make content and blah 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 bullshit this is very common among like everybody who's who wanted to do this since they were a kid that like the Two Towers documentary on the disc was, like, everything. I watched that so many times. I had it. It was the special features disc. I always had it with me wherever I went. And I had a little, like, they had the portable DVD players back then. And me and my parents would go camping and stuff. And I would just stay in the car and I would rewatch <laughs> the making of documentary. And Hanalor, you actually let me borrow the extended versions of all three movies when we were in like middle school. I don't remember this. Oh, I, it, I didn't remember this until you told me. I remember this so <laughs> clearly. There's four hours of like content on like each of those and I would just sit and like drink it in. It was it, it was huge for people who wanted kids like my my roommate Erica who also like has wanted to you know make movies forever and now we both work in TV and we met in school like is a huge lord of the rings fan and i remember like see she showed me like her old myspace and that's what it like said on it was like i used to love to watch the lord of the rings special features so interesting to me to hear you talk about like this perspective of a creator rather than my perspective of like a consumer of this sort of media right just because lord of the rings even as a kid i could tell it was just so ambitious you know this is actually interesting to unpack for me because it was like something i muddled over so much of like why doesn't the chronicles of narnia look as good and now i know it's just it's not like one specific thing it's just the richness of detail coming together in lord of the rings 
it's just many, many, many things coming together that's probably not present in Chronicles of Narnia, but I could sense it as a kid of there's just something so much bigger going on. And even though I couldn't put my finger on it of like, oh, it's that every department is doing their best. It's like, I felt like I had to just consume everything about how it was made. Where I didn't really, even Star Wars, that was my favorite movie ever. Like I would watch the special features like once or twice, but like not obsessively the way I did with Lord of the Rings. I'm kind of ashamed to admit it. I never actually watched the- uh... Special features? Special features. I've watched the special features with you, Catherine. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think we ever watched those special features together, but I did watch them uh, at least once, if not a few other times. Yeah, I watched them a lot. And, and uh, it, it's so impressive, the amount of effort that went into every single detail. Yeah. And I realize now that I think about those special features all the time without thinking about how I'm thinking about them. Mm. Mm. Do you have an example? Uh, yeah, just... I come back to like one clip all the time in my head of just like someone showing a prop and it was like something small. It was just like a bag and they're just showing it to Peter Jackson and they'd obviously put a bunch of work into it. And he said, nope, doesn't look enough like Middle Earth. And it like, it looked great. And it was one of just like millions of props. And he had the gall to be like, nope, (laughs) and send it back. And I remember just being very impressed by that as a kid where it's like, that's, that's what you have to be to be a good director is you have to be a bitch. (laughs) absolute authority and control over the content where i absolutely i have no interest in being a director because of like the kind of when i took like a class just like studying great directors and like what kind of people they were they're always the same kind of person and um like i just recently worked with like a very good director because he was he was really 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 good and all of our and I knew that like what we were making was amazing and all of our actors loved him so much and had the best time, but it was just very hard to keep up with. Just know exactly what is right and not uh, compromise at all. It's not something I admire, but it's apparently what works. <laughs> yeah, at least in my personal experience, like I, I write a lot of poetry. Um, I have been for about like almost... I'd say about half a year, well, no, a year now. I don't know. I felt like I needed to create something more, at least in my personal life. And I have ever shown a very select group of people one piece of poetry I've ever written once because it was like the only thing that I felt was ready to even be critiqued. And in my time of reading and consuming works of art like it, like, like poetry or poetry itself, like I know... I know what to expect from good poetry in terms of the kinds of flow that it has and the kinds of feelings that it gets across and how well it does it. Like I know what to expect from good things like that. And I'm not going to, even in my own amateur way, let something out that isn't at least a a silhouette of that. Yeah. But I don't think, I don't think it diminishes the creation itself, though, even if you keep it to yourself. It's still... Right, it doesn't. Like, I don't... I don't... Like, I think it's all very important. And a lot of... Like, I'll go back and read things, and it'll be very important reminder of, like, where I was at that point in time. Right. How are you feeling? I do think it's really interesting that as, like, a cultural piece, um, Lord of the Rings largely just resulted in jokes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Outside of like its effects on media, I think, which I think the movies had an effect on 
media at the time and in the future just because of like the massive amount of very well-performed work that went into it and development of new technologies, things like that, that were necessary for Peter Jackson to create his vision had an effect. But I think the, the common person is going to think about these movies in a very different way. Yeah, there's a lot of really good parodies. <laughs> Remember the Flight of the Concords did a Lord of the Rings thing, right? Did they? Yeah, because one of them was in the movie. Brett was in Fellowship at some point and then came back and had a line in Return of the King. What? Oh yeah, I guess they are Kiwis, aren't they? Yeah, so he actually was in the movie and then they did um, a song about Lord of the Rings where it's like, Frodo, don't something the ring, wear the ring. (laughs) (laughs) They they rapped for a while as hobbits. (laughs) Yeah, Frodo, don't wear the ring. Yeah. Yeah, and they do my favorite thing to do with Lord of the Rings is just say quotes that aren't that interesting out of context. And and they, at one point, you know, go, many spies have many eyes. (laughs) 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 And, like, I don't know if you noticed by how many times I've said, Bilbo, the ring is still in your pocket. Pocket. Yeah, you did. You said that repetitively. (laughs) Like, when we ran into Bilbo... (laughs) in Rivendale you were like yeah the song is literally just like lines from the song which I think is just or lines from the movie which is very funny to me (laughs) and they call it a mine (laughs) a mine what did you say oh uh here's an interesting tidbit Robin uh played Gollum in our middle school uh production of The Hobbit in which I play Goblin Patrol Leader. <laughs> I ki- spoiler alert, I killed Thorin. Oh and shit. And my parents were horrified because I didn't tell them. <laughs> nice. Okay. And they were like, was that Katie? Like they were so like, Did best. our daughter just kill him? Yeah, I remember this. I was there. Yeah, it was great. It was my favorite thing I've ever done. Was because, was because, oh my god, direct correlation of how Lord of the Rings affected my life. I was telling Hanalor this, that like, when I was a kid, I spent so much time trying to be Aragorn, and I thought I had a crush on him at the time, but it turns out I just wanted to be him. And um, I would just turn all the lights off in my room, and I would actually clean it, so I had some space, and I would just spend hours with fake swords, like, copying what they were doing on screen. (laughs) And then that's, I think, a reason why I was chosen to kill Thorin years and years and years because <laughs> I knew how to really ham it up when I was like pretending that's amazing I like Lord of the Rings I think it probably had a good effect on my life yeah it seems to have pulled you into the film industry I was thinking more of just like it taught me to be a badass sword fighting dude I'm, I'm like thinking of all the ways I should try to be more like Strider in my life why Strider? Feels different for me for, than Aragorn. Strider sits in the yeah. corner. Because I definitely think Aragorn is, like, very adept, and he's a fantastic warrior, and he is strong, and he is brave, but he's more of a symbol of reluctance to embrace your destiny and your fam- your lineage, and he's, like, a symbol of, like, self-doubt, almost. Like, why, why doesn't he want to do it? Does he think he can't? 
Well, I think he understands. I mean, to give him some credit, I think he understands the dangerous nature of power. And I think he's seen, he's lived long enough, like at the, at the point in the Lord of the Rings where he joins the story, I believe he's around 80 years old or between 60 to 80 years old. Cause he's not, he's not human. He's half elf. He's not young by any means. And he's seen a lot in terms of the world. So I think the, one of the points is that he's terrified of what power could do to him. Um, because what power did to his lineage before him, uh, where um, I actually don't know what Isildur was was to Aragorn. The description of the relation between Aragorn and Isildur is that he is the heir of Isildur. So he's the direct heir. Yeah. Isildur is Aragorn's stepdad. No, that's not what that means. <laughs> it's his, oh. Like a thousand years has passed. Like, and I was reading, like, the history, Aragorn's history as well, because he, they were in this, like, tribe of rangers, that might be the wrong word, but they were, he was amongst the rangers, and then his father was killed, and that made Aragorn, like, the chief of them, but he went to live in Rivendell, and he had no idea, like, what his name was, he did not know his name was Aragorn. <laughs> And he didn't know that he was the heir of Isildur for a very long time. And then they told him. So it's not like he even grew up knowing this. It was like a shell shock to him. And I think he was even in love with Arwen before he knew. I don't know. Someone's going to tweet at me like, nee, nee, nee. Tolkien said this. Like, <laughs> I don't give a fuck. But, yeah, um, we're going to get tweeted at for being inaccurate at times. I have not said a single thing inaccurate. Robin? I think it was still important that he knows of the dangerous nature of power yes he's like the exact foil to boromir boromir someone you know who from the moment he was born it's like you are the first son of the steward of gondor he loves you so forking much (laughs) and thinks you are so great and your little brother is both smaller in like stature and title than you um (laughs) it helps that your brother stinking little brother your brother's a bit more pretty than you, which is important to what I'm saying, apparently. Boromir grows up having ambition just seen as like, this is the way that men behave and you are going to be the great steward of Gondor. You know what, Boromir? Gondor needs no king. Why don't you shout that at a council of elves and dwarves and the rightful heir of the king? That's, That's who you are. To be fair, Gondor needs no king. Yes, it does! It, it, fucking, fucking, that's a hot take, sir, because <laughs> you think the steward of Gondor, what's his stupid name? Balaglock, who, like, makes... Denethor? Denethor, who makes... <laughs> who makes, uh... Pippin sings songs while he's eating cherry tomatoes while his only son is being led to his death is better than our beautiful son, Aragorn? You know, I just, in general, anti-monarchy. But Aragorn, though. Because, well, I mean, to be fair, the stewardship was still a monarchy yeah. and that it was a reason. Oh, yeah, no, I'm not rooting for the, the stewardship either. Yeah. I think they should completely restructure when we were watching it together and I just thought it was so gay of Frodo to like see this very handsome, very brooding, mysterious <laughs> man in the corner and ask the like waiter, like, who's that? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, like I think there's so there's such a huge ability to project all this like gay context onto a bunch of a bunch of twinks leaving their hometown and finding this brooding older man. Brooding older man in a bar. And then Sam and Frodo falling in love. Yeah. We haven't even talked about them being lovers. I don't think they're like physical lovers. <laughs> what? I think they're emotionally in love with each other. Well, of course. Um, I think I think when you take the the perspective of two, a wealthy man and his gardener go on a journey where they, uh, at the end, they talk about how much they love strawberries, um, is very, very queer in context. Like in that perspective, oh, yeah. can that be the like IMDb synopsis of the Lord of the Rings? The wealthy man and his gardener go on a very long journey, and at the end, they talk about strawberries. <laughs> <laughs> like they they relate to each other so um so intrinsically about their upbringing and like how far away it seems like they they were raised and grew up in the same environment but at the end they're in such a different place and all they can do to give themselves hope is think about like the things that give them comfort in the world which are the same yeah each other and strawberries <laughs> <laughs> That's the title of a book. Like those were things that they shared. Like that was a shared memory between the two of them is the the idea of strawberries in the springtime. And cream. Yes. God, I love hobbits. Oh, like I that. have oh my god, Hanalar, I have these pair of overalls that look exactly like hobbit overalls. Oh. Um, oh, that's so cute. Let me go. I'm just going to go grab them real quick. Go put them on. Because I, I need right another peep right now. now, please. Put them on live on the podcast. They're just like brown. <gasps> Cute. And they have shorts for legs. Ah! That's really cute. And they like show off my sort of like disproportional but very Hobbit-like legs. Yeah, we should absolutely have like a Hobbit weekend where we all wear pants like that and we just like eat a bunch of like cheese or vegan cheese and meats or vegan meat and drink a bunch of beer and sing songs every night and this all sounds very good yeah what's that what's that why do you keep doing that because it's slap o'clock oh i hate slap o'clock you know what slap o'clock means fan mail fan mail first i have a letter here an envelope. Let me open it up. That's t- tissue paper. It does not sound like <laughs> No, it does not. from Brett Kavanaugh. It's just an envelope full of tears. Oh, perfect. So you got the tears that you ordered. Yeah, for my uh, This is for craft. our various witchy spells. <laughs> yeah. Um, our next piece of fan mail is an actual voice recording from a human. <gasps> I love that! Hooray! Uh, This is from Richard Briggy. Hey y'all! First of all, love the show. Second of all, I think you should do an episode on Courage the Cowardly Dog. It was one of my favorite shows growing up. It follows the comic misadventures of a cowardly dog, ironically named Courage, as he tries to save his owners, Muriel and Eustace, from literally getting murdered by super creepy paranormal entities every week. It's terrifying, it's hilarious, and honestly, watching it again in 2018, it definitely stands the test of time. 
Can't wait to hear what y'all have to say. Oh, you're gonna have to wait a whole week. A whole <laughs> darn week, because next week... We're doing um, uh, Goblin-tober next week. Goblin-tober? <laughs> Ghost-tober? We start... Uh, no, Goblin. I like... Spectacular. No, because I <laughs> like how not good it sounds to say Goblin-tober. <laughs> We're doing Halloween. We're doing a month of Halloween next month. I don't know why. Because it's gonna be fun! Okay. Because Halloween's the best holiday! Next week, join us for Courage the Cowardly Dog. The spookiest episodes we could find. Spookiest episodes, the scariest, and the most psychologically fucked. For our gargoyles and goblins tobers. <laughs> we'll perfect the name. We'll, we'll figure out Ghost something that goblins sounds and gargoyles. terrible. Tober. Tober. Hanalar, as our esteemed guest, uh, I'd like to give you a moment to impart some wisdom on our audience before we say goodnight. Eat more eggs. Excellent. That's excellent. Excellent. Ooh, I'm gonna eat eggs right after this. Ooh, that's. And then I'm gonna watch the two towers. (laughs) Are you really? I am. Uh, watch it with me. I will watch it with you, Robin. Yes! You've been listening to Grow Up, a Saturday morning podcast for heroic millennials with... Cathracor, son, daughter of Borthanor, uh, keeper of things. I'm Ruby Dooby Doo. And I'm Maddie, son, dogpile. And we're here with our special guest... Lucier the Goosier. <laughs> <laughs> That's it! <laughs>